And welcome to another podcast. And today we have a special guest, Phil, who is the owner of an MG34 and an MG42, and who has actual experience with both of them, shooting them and maintaining them. Welcome, Phil. Hi. What I learned already from you is there's a main difference between the MG34 and the MG42, namely that the one was a weapon constructed in peace, whereas the other was a wartime production. Now, what does this bring with it? Well, um, I think one of the main really differences in this production type is the MG34 is like a fine Swiss watch. Everything is tight tolerances, uh, let's say expensive material, um, a lot of machining and, and lathe work. In comparison to the MG42, it, this is really the cheap watch from China. It's stamped material, minimal uh, efforts in, in, let's say, heavy or expensive work like lathe working and turning. And um, it was really a mass production item. The MG34 was also, let's say, a mass production, but with a lot of more efforts a lot of more machines involved to produce. It has tighter tolerances. Um, for instance, the bolt uh, in, in the lower receiver is very tight. Is uh, Compared to the MG42, it's rather loose or has more play. And this is really, when you put them side by side, it's really high finish versus low quality, more or less. But they both worked in the end. So due to the, to the more tight and more precise um, coupling of the MG34, there was, uh, I think, as far as I know, one major issue that, for instance, if ammo was a bit dirty or something, yeah. you could have um, a jam or some problems, which didn't happen with the 42. Is this correct? Um, I think a good indication for uh, the 34 is that all the pictures you see of Wehrmacht soldiers are, they either carry it in ammo in boxes, uh, in the 250 or 300 round boxes or the drum magazines and never lose around the neck. And this is really crucial that you don't get any dirt inside the machine gun or you have rather bigger problems to cleaning it. The MG42 is more forgiving in that aspect. So you suddenly see pictures of uh, German soldiers uh, carrying the ammunition around the neck or, or no longer in the boxes because they could do it. It would, it would still work to a reasonable uh, reliability. Um, when you look at the system of the 34, for instance, when you attach the drum magazine and a 50-round drum magazine uh, with the belt, with one belt, it's a really closed system. There's not much ways of getting dirt into the system. But when you have a dirty belt, it's going to be, um, then it's going to jam. It's very, very prone to malfunction. And, and since you, you also have experience with shooting both weapons, what yes. is, in your opinion, the major difference? I think the MG34 is more pleasant to shoot. It has around 900 rounds per minute. Um, it's this, the recoil is really straight into your shoulder. So you don't have this, you, when you bring your body behind the gun, you can really, um, let's say, keep the focus on aiming 
towards your target. The MG42 with the little, well, 1200 rounds, 1500 rounds, that's always a big, big discussion in the forums. I always say the normal MG42 had around, around 1200 rounds per minute. Your vision of the world becomes blurry. Um, it's really hard to get out of that tunnel vision. It's, it's more violent. Um, it's also a little bit fact that the MG42 is a little bit uh, lighter and has a higher rate of fire. So you have more of that recoil impulse affecting your shoulder or your body. And um, for me, the MG34 is a better shooting machine gun from instance from a bipod. It's more pleasant and more uh, precise as a, as a shooter. You don't lose that uh, situational awareness that much. I always refer to it a bit like, if you remember Band of Brothers, the TV show, uh, there's this attack on Carantan in the third season where you see that the, the, the Amer Americans attacked the town and they tapped the machine gunner on the head, on the helmet, that he should uh, shift his fire to the other direction. And that's really have the same experience. You suddenly lose the situational awareness with the MG42 because it's, yeah, you experienced it as well. It's brute force. It's really, it shakes you. It's <laughs> a little bit punishing. So basically you, you get more in any kind of zone and, and with the MG34 yeah. you still have the control and you have a, warm, a wider view and everything. Yeah, it's, it's, it's not so... Um, you don't fight with the gun. In MG42, you really press that gun into your shoulder and you really fight the gun a bit because high rate of fire and yeah, it shakes you. And the MG34 is really, if you train, if you ha have enough experience with it, like, a, like you would expect from a Wehrmacht soldier, it's, it's more really um, a, rifle, a, rifle, a machine gun that allows you to also scan a bit not lose traction of what's happening and this makes it a little bit more independent okay uh, do you also have experience shooting it from a tripod both of them yes so is there uh, a difference here no i think tripods is what people what often is is lost in the articles and wikipedia stuff and youtube videos is that the machine guns for the German army were really systems. It was not just the MG34 or the, uh, the 42. It was a system with the tripod. Um, the tripods was very well made. It was uh, also labor intensive to make, but it had his purpose. He could really shoot um, areas. It was really an aerial of denial system. And in that role, it doesn't really matter what you use. Both are plenty accurate enough and have enough uh, high rate of fire. And in, a, in a, let's say in a static position, both are excellent, really excellent. So you um, don't lose the, the overall vision when the MG42 is on a tripod? No, uh, not at all. It's also, you have to remember that and in such a thing, in such a, when mounted to a tripod, it's the heavy, the heavy uh, version, let's say this way. Yeah. You're not alone. 
you have a you have mostly an NCO that spots for you, uh, that also calls your targets uh, shift light uh, right or left. Um, you aim by tracers because you can really actually see the tracers. You're not you're disconnected from the gun. The gun is on itself. Uh, you're just sitting behind it. Yeah. Behind yeah. It. And you just it's just uh, like a yeah, it's like a bicycle <laughs> wheel, more or less. You're, you're, you're just steering it. And you, have, you even have an optic that a lot of other machine guns didn't have. You have a magnifying. I'm not sure anymore if it's magnifying or not, because they are really rare optics. They're also very expensive from a collector's side. And a short note for, for, for our listeners. Now, the MG34 and 42 were both general purpose machine guns, but in the Wehrmacht, on a bipod, they were considered light machine guns, leichtes Maschinengewehr, yes. and on a tripod, they were considered heavy machine guns, schweres Maschinengewehr. So in the German army, the use was def usually defining in terms of light and heavy. You have the similar with the, with the Panther tank, which also was considered mm -hmm. medium tank. So, because some people say, okay, this wasn't the heavy machine gun. I say, no, the, in the Wehrmacht, in the military sense, it was for them on a tripod, but not in the caliber sense. For instance, other, if you go from the technical detail, no, it was not a heavy machine gun. No, it was not. A, I think from the technical side, from the caliber side, you could say it was a medium machine gun on the tripod. And heavy was, let's say, in American terms, was called for the M2 Browning, the 50 caliber, yeah. or the Russian Dushka, uh, the other 50 caliber from the Russian side. German. Doctrine, doctrine, or, or strat, uh, textbook, it was heavy. The heavy machine gun was tripod. Yeah. And this is also yeah. a, a thing due to naming, because in the in the Wehrmacht there was basically only there were a few exceptions where there was medium. Basically, they only had light. And schwer, yeah. light and heavy, yeah. for instance. For the artillery, they didn't have medium artillery. They had leichte Feldhobbitze and schwere Feldhobbitze. Mm -hmm. So this, yes, it was, this can get lost in translation easily for people mm -hmm. who are not aware of this. Yeah, very good point. As I said, the, the tripod is a system in itself, and it had a lot of <laughs> nice features like the Tiefenfeuer Automat or something on, on, and, and um, a very good optic that you could scale for distance. Uh, for elevation automatically and etc. Um, I think a lot of people uh, lose this because uh, this point because it's really a system. It was the MG34, for instance, was also a really modular machine gun. It, it was a general purpose machine gun. It was used for almost the plan was to use it for almost everything that required a machine gun. And we are, as with your tank series, the Königstiger. It was really meant, that's why the barrel change is a little bit different. But mounted on a tripod, the barrel change is no issue because you just tilt the barrel jacket to the side. But when you use it on a bipod, it's a little bit difficult because you have to turn the lower receiver to the side. Yeah. And on a tripod, that's easy. You just switch the... Um, the unfortunately, I don't have a tripod. An original uh, 34, they're rather rare in my country. and. Um, Maybe one day I'll get one, but we'll see. I uh, think not only in your country, I guess. Everywhere. Yeah, yeah, it's it's a thing that these accessories, let's call it accessories, are very rare. 
that the optic I have only seen it once, um, and it was <laughs> an absurd price. Um, the tripod I have only seen it twice, I guess, and they didn't want to sell. So, <laughs> well, maybe someday I will get one. But yeah, it's my. <laughs> that's the thing about the collector. You're not a collector for five minutes. You're a collector for whole, your whole life. For life, yeah. Yeah, it's it's. I've searched for iTunes for many years now, and I'm, I know I will get one one day. But yeah, <laughs> we'll see. I notice I have this with information usually. Yeah. Yes, it's. You, you, you see, you see this. this as a collector, you need patience, uh, motivation, and also money. It's, it's, for instance, I have some issues with my MG34 of reliability. Um, but then on the other side, on the other hand, I have to say it's an 80 year old gun. Mine is stamped from 39. And yeah, I cannot go to amazon.com and order a new set of springs for an MG34. It doesn't work that way. It's, if you need replacement parts, you're looking for years. That's, yeah, a little bit the difficulty of uh, collecting these items. I think this also connects to something um, you, some misconception that are out there on, on some comments on YouTube or something. If people see somebody shooting with an MG34 and, yes. and then they have, they have some jam or something, and people say, okay, it's an unreliable gun, and therefore yes. it was replaced with the 42. What do you say about that? Um, let's say if we go back to the year like 1938 and would get a brand new MG34 from the factory um, with German Wehrmacht ammo uh, and German Wehrmacht belt, this gun would run for thousands of, uh, of rounds without a problem. Um, the problem nowadays is the guns are old. The Germans never had the best spring steel in, 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 the, in the whole war. Um, that one of the reasons for the MG42 MG to have this double coil recoil spring was because the lack of quality spring steel. The Americans, Americans never had this problem. They always had very good uh, spring steel. And yeah, it, it's... Um, a machine gun, the operation of a machine gun is really a very well-oiled machine. It, every part has to play its role and has to be perfect. Um, it's like driving an old-timer car. Uh, you spend a lot of time <laughs> fixing the car so you can drive it for one or two hours. And replacement parts are impossible to get. And yeah, it, it's a little bit the same with all the machine guns. and. And the problem with when you collect German guns in general, uh, you know they have been used. They have been somewhere on the Ost front, maybe somewhere on the West front, maybe, I don't know, in Africa, and they have been, have been used extensively. So they are, there's wear and tear. There is, um, yeah, they're not to spec anymore. Uh, uh, finding good ammo for shooting it is difficult. Um, factory ammo is a little bit on the weaker side, so you don't have that, let's say, Wehrmacht load. And all this 
leads to well this is then yeah then you see a video on youtube and a guy shoots 200 runs through an mg34 and has two jams and people then complain ah this gun is unreliable that's why they change it and i say no it's an old gun you can't find place uh, replacement parts and that's that's the reality as a collector you have to accept uh, my gun as well the mg34 has problems and if i can shoot let's say 100 rounds with maybe one jam i'm happy that's for me the best I can do at the moment. I mean, it makes sense. It's a very, it's a high precision tool. You have, yeah. uh, you have old parts, and then also, if I mean, it, it was made for one specific type of ammo, and if you have less power yeah. in it or too much, yeah. there's there's a problem. So, so I actually never realized this before I talked to you that okay, there's different, there's different power in each in. In, in each shot if they are made in a different factory. And I was like, okay, yeah. I never thought about that, but it makes absolutely complete sense, yeah. And it's, it's the, the German control everything in when they produce for the Wehrmacht. They have tight uh, acceptance tolerances, yeah. for instance. And, and that's another thing with Wehrmacht parts. They are all stamped with the Eagle. So they were approved by some form of Uh, testing board or, or quality control. That's why they, that's how they guaranteed the, the, the replacement parts coming in were actually good, not creating more problems. And this is really after war. Um, there were, there was a lot of ammunition, eight millimeter, millimeter Mauser or the, uh, 792 by 57 Mauser, which is the military term was quite common. A lot of countries had this caliber. But all this ammo supply is no longer available. It has been all used or it is simply too old. I, I have machine, other machine guns. I shoot ammo from 1938. It works, but it's a little bit on the, let's say, old age of ammunition. That's almost 80-year-old ammunition that still works more or less. And <laughs> that's a little bit the The problems you have as a, as a let's say World War II gun collector, and especially then with German machine guns, uh, you see it, it's all a, a little bit a timing question. A machine gun is a timing machine um, that everything has to be just right. You have a little bit of play. Let's say you have you can an, an addition of friction is okay, but Yeah, everything has to. It's it's always it's hard to tell. It's it's you you, you know you lose five percent there, five percent there, five percent there, and suddenly it, it it reached the point where it's no longer reliably work. I mean, it's it's quite. I think it's more easier to understand for people if you look at the fire rate of one thousand two hundred shots per minute. Yeah. That means twenty shots 20. per second. Okay, that's yeah. like. If there is there is not much um, let's say leeway yeah. to to have in this with this amount of power, I mean this is also a very strong round and everything. So if if yeah, there is a problem, there a minor problem, it it will it it's actually quite amazing that after 80 years it still works. It's 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 a little bit a testament to the design, honestly. It's you see in the MG34, it was. We can debate it a bit, but it's mostly one of uh, the, the first of its kind. First, really 
general purpose machine gun for every part that needed a machine gun. It was really a doctrine. Let's switch from the water-cooled systems and the light machine guns like the British used, the Bren and the Vickers. Um, Germans said, we want one machine gun. And for this role, it was a very good design machine gun. It was modular. Today, we would call it modular. Um, it could adapt it to situations uh, when you needed it. Um, the problem is, as we mentioned earlier uh, in the beginning, it was a peace project. It was a peacetime designed machine gun when you have availability for all the special uh, materials that you needed for building it. A time or production time was, wasn't really an issue during peacetime. If you produce, produce uh, 300,000 machine guns in five years or 10 years in peacetime is not really important. What you need in peacetime is a, a machine, that, machine gun that can sustain a lot of training, let's say this way, because these are being used and they shouldn't be uh, damaged or destroyed after one year of training. When you go to war, you need an MG42. It's cheap to, cheaper to produce, and I don't really think cheap uh, in money uh, issues, uh, money terms, more in labor terms and special machinery and special materials. You, you take an MG42 because let's see, the, uh, let's say the experiences of the Ostrand is machine gun survives 20,000 rounds or can shoot 20,000 rounds before it's destroyed or captured by the enemy. You don't need machine gun that can shoot one million rounds before failure. It's useless to have such a uh, good machine gun. Yeah, that makes yeah. absolutely sense. Yeah, and and the other aspect was that, that Germany wasn't particularly good in in mass manufacturing even before the war and even during yeah. the war there were major problems. I mean, I, I read just now there was only one tech a tank factory that actually employed a manufacturing belt. <laughs> only one in total they never had one because i mean for, for several issues and and so this is this is germany back then in the 30s was more was was already industrialized but standardization wasn't so high and also mass production it was not that focus on mass production yet like there was in the united states so they're coming yeah. from a different approach both from the from the military side and also from the industrial side it's funny often talk with my collective friends about when we compare American uh, machine guns or automatic weapons to the Germans, that the Germans were much more aware what they needed to achieve their goals with the maneuver warfare, the Bewegungskrieg, etc. And the Americans didn't care or didn't focus on developing a real good light machine gun. But they had the manufacturing capability. They had really the, the manufacturing cap capabilities to produce thousands of thousands of Thompson machine guns. But the Thompson was very, also very expensive to produce. But they, they, well, they didn't care. They, they just produced them. And I think um, it's, it's funny that the Americans went to war with not a really good machine gun. Um, I owned the uh, 1919 A4 before, 
And for me, it's, it's a reliable machine gun, but it's, <laughs> yeah, I'm going to create a lot of hate now. Uh, it's, it's, it's not a good machine gun. It's useless as a light machine gun. They tried to put it in a light machine gun role with the A6, but <laughs> it, they made them, it made it more heavy. <laughs> and it, it's really not, um, they didn't have an understanding of modern warfare, well, modern for the Second World War. What modern warfare demanded of the battlefield? Again, I think the Russians were quicker in adopting or adapting to the Bewegungskrieg um, from the Germans because they simply had to. Yeah, I otherwise think this they is would be. Yeah. The the main <laughs> difference, the the United States basically, I think they had a large, uh, smaller army than, than Germany under the Versailles Treaty at one point, so. Mm -hmm. and, they, and they always have the Atlantic and the, and the Pacific yeah. on both sides. I mean, this is also why, why Americans usually focus wo way more on logistics, because mm -hmm. as I wrote today in an email, before you guys can fire one shot, you need to cross se uh, several thousand miles of, of sea. So, yes. I mean, for, I think the, what, what, when an American goes to war, they basically have to do more calculations in terms of logistics than, than one country that decides to take every neighboring country in Europe, for instance, mm -hmm. because there's different aspects. And, and I think the, the 1919 was, wasn't really used at a, a squad level too. They, they had the BER for that, I think. So, yes. so there's, there's a major the B, problem yeah, in this regard. The, the BAR is, is, I have a hard time labeling the BAR or, or its role. Because uh, a, a collector friend of mine has a BAR, and he has a BAR also with a tribe uh, with a bipod, and <laughs> the bipod on the BAR is just oh oh we don't have a bipod on the on, on the BAR we need a bipod quick, and you need you need pliers to set the bipod on a BAR you really have to yeah uh, yeah yeah okay they just cannot deploy it like on a brand. <laughs> you need pliers to apply the, 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 the bipod on the BAR, and you have 20 rounds in the magazine. It, it, this, this, is, this is nothing. Yeah, and you can't I mean, reload as fast as with the brand because with the brand, yeah. you just pull out and you put it in. Yeah. I was quite surprised when, when we did this how fast yeah. you can change, but with the BAR, you can't, so you can't sustain the fire. I think, uh, but it's I think most people agree that the BAR wasn't really. Yeah, I don't know. I, I, I can't classify it either because it was like, especially later on when they had the, when they had the M1 Garand, because I mean, yeah. Another thing is, okay, I guess if the BAR is, it was available, we had produced it and uh, we don't have a solution now. And the Amer Americans had a little bit of the dilemma, as you said, logistics. They had, when they, a new design had to work. They didn't have the luxury to sending it back to the factory. They had to make a design, and that's why that's 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 something that most people don't understand is designing a machine gun is really difficult. It's it's not so an easy thing that you sit down on a table for five hours and then you have a machine gun. It's mostly months of, of designing and then testing materials and everything before even the army thinks about adopting it. And what the, what the Germans did with the MG42, for instance, 
it, it's like the impression that, oh, we run into troubles on the Ost front, we need a new machine gun that's more, that's cheaper to produce. Um, the development of the MG42 started earlier. Yeah, yeah, I read this up now. It basically started, I think, right after the 34 or, or very yes, soon after they, that. When they started with 39, uh, with Poland, uh, the invasion of Poland, they realized, hmm, we have a lot of losses of MG34 in a way that they're not repairable or it's too expensive to repair. Uh, and then they wanted something that's a little bit, well, there's always a little bit uh, different information. It's hard to say what's really true. But I guess they always had the idea, we, we test the concept, see if it works. And if it doesn't work, or we have to find the things to improve that it really works. And then what they realized is that, well, the doctrine of this light machine gun, heavy machine gun combination with the, uh, with the Schützen spot, it works more or less, but we, all, we need something a little bit cheaper or better or easier to produce. That, that's something they realized very quickly. And then they started designing it. But what's more funny, actually, because um, between the MT-34 and the 42 is they don't share one single part, yeah. which is rather uncommon for, for, for production of... The only thing that they share is the I mean, a machine gun belt uh, for the ammunition, and the ammunition, that's the same. That's the only two factors. And the gauge trommel. That's, that's the only thing that fits on both. Besides that, I think almost everything was produced differently. Yeah, completely. I mean, the, and let's say cheaper. The, the 32 was, was an extremely complicated design and also everything was, with, was machined, basically. Yeah. And the 42 has a lot of stamped parts. So, yeah. So. It, it was really also the design of the things that needed machining are much simpler. Um, he, he, when you looked at the, the bolt, you had these two rollers. These are easy to do. The, the, the bolt head is easy to do. And the 34, that's a complex piece of equipment with different machining cuts and everything. And, that, and, and at the production time, or let's say, um, there was no CNC machining that, that had five axes or something. It was just one. Uh, tool bench after the other, <laughs> and yeah. you just place the parts there and cut the cuts you had to cut. And um, yeah, everything is much simpler than the MG42. They completely redesigned machine gun <laughs> from scratch. I mean, yeah, that's <laughs> that's something a little bit astonishing, honestly, because normally designs of such Machine gun is rather complex. Um, <laughs> I find it funny when people say, yeah, you should make it more easy or more simpler or whatever. Yes, but normally if engineer, if you do engineering work and you have to find a solution to a problem, it's always a complicated solution at first. And yeah. Once you have some sort of solution, then you can start to um, make it better in or simpler. But yep. it's really hard to do a simple solution on the first draft. I, I can exactly. I mean, I see this even with my with my my video designs. When when I look when I first did some of the animations and infographics, yeah. and then I did it the second time, and I realized okay, that the way easier ways to do this is always first you you have yes, to be yes. effective, 
and then you can exactly. go for for optimization and efficiency. But first, if it if it's not effective, I mean, it it doesn't make sense if if the gun doesn't work, it doesn't make yeah. any sense to optimize <laughs> it. Oh, we have yeah, a gun that doesn't work now, but we <laughs> but it's really efficient in <laughs> production. <laughs> yeah, great. Yeah, I think I think the first draft is always solving the problem. Yeah, I think that's quintessential for all engineering work. Is first draft is always fixing the problem. And then when you fix the problem is how can you fix the problem? How can you still fix the problem with a simpler method? Yeah. And, and to and a certain degree, sometimes fi uh, fixing the problem the first time actually makes you understand what the real problem is or define yeah. it clearer. Because for sometimes yeah. you think you have a problem and then you realize, oh, actually that was not my problem. Well, it's, it's a way more complicated or actually a more simpler problem. And then you realize, okay, we need a def different solution here. Yeah. It's, it's, it's the, it's a little bit also in the direction of, um, minimalistic problem solving. What's the most simplest or easiest thing item that solves that problem? Because overachieving doesn't, doesn't bring you much in certain ways. For instance, uh, um, an MG42, uh, yes, you could bring it up to 1500 rounds a minute. But why? The, yeah, I mean, why? On, 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 a, on, a, on a tripod, uh, okay, area of denial, maybe you would benefit from 300 rounds more per minute in the area or, or, or not. But I think 1200 rounds is plenty sufficient. 900 rounds a minute, like in the 34, is also sufficient as a, as a suppressive fire method. I mean, even the brand, if it's five to six hundred rounds per minute, was was a is it was a very good light machine gun at pressing enemy infantry. It was enough. But also, a lot of people don't know is that the earlier versions, the first two thousand MG thirty four had a rate reducer in the pistol grip. You could switch from nine hundred to four hundred rounds per minute, and it was generally seen that nine hundred rounds per minute was used for anti air, where you need where you need that extra yeah. uh, rate of fire. And 400 rounds was considered enough for ground combat. Um, they dropped the system because it was, again, a little bit too German and too complicated. Um, uh, and I never have actually seen it. They are very rare. But um, it, yeah, it was not, it was too complicated and it was not really necessary. They said, okay, we can do with both. And we rather have 900 rounds per minute because we, again, are in the general purpose machine gun. So we can use it instantly from fire support, ground fire support to anti-air. Uh, yeah, without worrying that, that the soldier, soldier has to switch. Uh, uh, yeah. Yeah, around and complicate yeah. everything. Yeah. Yes. It, it's, because that's one thing in combat, you don't have the luxury of thinking sometimes. Yeah, you, uh, you just need to act and it, exactly. it, not, it has to work. Yeah, it has to work simply enough. And that's where, that's when I have this discussion with my friends about the Bren and the MG34, for instance, about like machine gun roll. We all think that actually the Bren is really the better like machine gun in, let's say, quick reaction to a threat. Uh, for engaging, for instance, the safety. It's really at your thumb. Uh, with the MG34, you have this safety, you have to a little bit press in and 
then press forward. Uh, yeah, it's not so. Let's say you, can, you can't easily do it in a hurry, or or yeah, you have to get good training to do it in a hurry. With the brain, you're unsafe. Ah, a threat. It's really on so your tongue. Forward, yeah. forward and blast it. And that's what they did better in the MG42. It's also at your thumb. You just press it with your thumb and you're ready to fire. On the other hand, you also have to say when you're, for instance, in the Ost front and it's a cold winter and you have these thick gloves, the MG34, I don't know if you really can operate the safe when you have thick, yeah, it needs training. In the 42, I have to say it's rather easy. It's because when you, engage or the disengage is saved, it goes flush against the pistol grip. It's it's not sticking out, it just can press it through and it's okay. There's no dent, there's no nothing. The MG34 is really hmm, okay. Maybe I, we have to test it maybe. Yeah it could be interesting. <laughs> wearing, wearing thick gloves and for also maybe changing the barrel with thick gloves. Uh, uh, I think the MG42 is a lot of lessons learned. And they, then uh, they adopted it. I mean, the barrel change system is really um, a design um, decision that they made. Okay, we're never going to use the MG42 inside the tank. So they can make this really quick barrel change system, which is another thing I think, uh, I, I think it's funny on, on movies like uh, Saving Private Ryan or something, and they say, I'll wait for him to change the barrel. Uh, yeah, okay, that's three seconds. Yeah. <laughs> Um, okay, three seconds, uh, and then he has changed the barrel and continues shooting. Okay, what do you achieve in three seconds? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> it, it's really the funny things, and it's a lot of unfortunate myths that prevail. I mean, they get repeated over the. I think you know the problem more better than I do. Yeah, that I these mean, myths is, are hard to. It's always split screen. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and, and the thing is, uh, you need probably half a second to realize he's changing the bow. Yeah, because if he fires in bursts, how how you know yeah. he? I mean, and it's also pretty loud, so you probably can't even hear it. I mean, um, block on the range, I think made made this video with the M1 Garant that you can't yeah, basically exactly, hear the clip, yeah. something yeah. so. If you can't hear this click out, I don't think you hear the bow <laughs> change on an MG42. Because yeah, when, you, when you hear it pulled, being pulled out, it's already, it's probably the next second, the next one is already in. Yeah. And also, you know, another thing is what people don't want to know is they, they, they have this image of Rambo, you know, you're alone on the front and you have to kill that, uh, yeah, storming horde towards your position. You're never alone. Yeah. War is a team effort and you're never, uh, you're not even, I don't think that Germany would use this machine gun alone. There are only mostly probably three machine guns simultaneously firing yeah. at one position. And uh, we in the army, we had three machine guns and you would coordinate and one would change barrel and reload and such that the others would take up the, the, pre uh, the suppressing fire. And... <laughs> That's really a thing that, oh, yeah, wait for him to change the barrel. Yeah, there are two other machine guns, and he has riflemen as well that would open up firing um, on your position. It's 
Yeah, that's, that's the thing. I mean, that's what I said in my most famous video, the, the German um, squad tactics, where I said, yeah, yeah, but these tactics were not alone. The squad was not acting alone on the battlefield. No, it's, it's, it's a team effort. And um, it, it's, uh, that's the sad thing about computer games like Call of Duty. They try to make the team effort a little bit, but it's still you are the superhero killing everybody. Um, no, it's, war doesn't work that way. Um, also, there is... Yeah, there's tanks, there's mortars, there's artillery, there's airplanes, there is... It's an army, <laughs> I mean... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, we, we always trained in our army um, uh, defensive fire for two minutes, then withdraw, because then the enemy artillery strike would hit you. And uh, yeah, it, it's, it's, it's a combined arms. It's a complete integration of every weapon system you have. It's not just... Oh, you know, oh, they're only infantry. We only take rifles to fight this war. No, we take everything we have. It's, <laughs> yeah. And, and I think this is really a lot of myths about also shooting the machine guns. People think it's unpleasant. I, I often get, uh, when I have this discussion with people that never shot uh, machine guns before, they think it's unpleasant. Or, or it's brutal. Uh, I don't know what you experienced. Yeah, in this. I was, I was, I was concerned that I could break my shoulder easily, if you remember. Yeah. So, and yeah. then nothing happened at all. So it was like uh, you told me in the right beginning. Yeah, if you if you really put it in a bad place, and and then yeah. you're, you're really stupid and everything. Yeah, <laughs> then you can break your shoulder. But <laughs> but besides that, and and it was. I, I, nothing hurt. I mean, going on a, yeah. on a heavy metal concert the next day, a lot of stuff hurts, <laughs> but, but after shooting your machine guns, no, noth nothing really hurt. So, so yeah, yeah, this is, I mean, it's, I mean, it's, it's, it, you, I mean, it's pleasant in a way, but not pleasant for everyone, I would say. Yeah, this is. <laughs> yes, it's, it's, I think intimidating would be the best word. I think yeah, people it, it are a little bit, Afraid of it because of the sheer volume of noise and and it moves in your shoulder. It's not um, it's not <laughs> something that's just lying there and waiting for something to happen. It's really when you shoot, it's moving in your shoulder, but you're still stronger than the machine gun. And I think a lot of people have problem with the noise because it's rather violent. I mean. 20 shots a minute, uh, a second. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, you feel it everywhere. I mean, we, we felt yeah. that you, uh, it's uh, vibrating. <laughs> yeah. Where we were, it's were quite interesting. The, I felt all machine guns I felt in, in the, in the upper body area, but the MG42 I also felt in the thighs <laughs> and the legs. So you, you, yeah, you yeah. felt that the power difference. I mean, it was as far as I remember the most strong round we had there, the eight millimeter yeah. Mauser. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's, it's really on the upper end of power levels. I mean, it's around, let's say, for calculations, it's around 4,000 joules of energy, one shot, and 20 rounds a second is 80,000 joules of energy that translate into your body a little yeah. bit. And um, that you feel, but, but it's not uncontrollable. Yeah, definitely it, it, not, yeah. Honestly, I have more problems with certain types of submachine guns um, that they are just so cheaply made 
that you are afraid that they will fall apart or I don't know what. And uh, I mean, when we shot the PPS 43, I consider it, well, recoil is not relevant in, in, in submachine gun. This is really nothing. But it's really just metal and it moves around because of that heavy ball that's moving around inside the gun. And yeah, yeah, and yeah. Then we had the problem with the ammo and uh, yeah. This yeah, you told to me do. to hold it, hold it down at yeah. the magazine because it it could magazine, explode yeah. early, and and it did happen. <laughs> and I was like, yeah. "What what happened now?" And then I was like, "Okay, if I had my hand up there, I probably would have a burn or something." Yeah, yeah. It, well, you learned from my experience. I had a burn last time, and I shot it, <laughs> and I had a out of battery detonation. But that comes again back to ammunition. The seven six two Tokarev in my country is again. Uh, soon gone. Uh, we don't have surplus anymore, and we only can get commercial ammo, which is honestly too weak. And yeah, we will do, I guess, a video about this then one day uh, about commercial ammo to military produced ammo. Yeah, and, that sounds interesting. Yeah, and um, these are common problems as for collectors. Do we have anything to add? Because we're already nearing one hour. I don't think for the moment. Uh, if there are maybe questions from the comments, maybe we can address them in a later podcast or something. Yeah, yeah. Well, thank you very much, Phil, for giving us many insights and both machine guns and for being here. It was my pleasure. Thank you for listening and see you next time. Bye.